Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I am Pat Rulo, and today I have a recent Firebird Book Award winning author. He is A.G. Sullivan, and his two winning book titles are The Katzenstein Kids and the Eye of Horus and Trypophobia, a novel. With many incomplete stories, chapter books, and novels outlined and partially completed, A.G. Sullivan has recently finished his first young adult novel, The Katzenstein Kids and the Eye of Horus. Since the age of eight, he has been writing and telling stories and letting his imagine unfold in the form of thought, art, architecture, poetry, and literature. Over the years, he would start and stop a number of story ideas in the hopes of someday getting to the joy of writing. Upon turning age 50 and under the pen name A.G. Sullivan, he finally reached the place in his life where writing can now fill his uninhibited ambitions. And I'm so happy to share him with you today. Welcome to the network, A.G. Thank you, Pat. I'm excited to speak with you today. Oh, I'm excited to speak with you today. You had quite a history of starting and stopping, and and what happened at age 50 where you said, this is the time? I think for me it was, I had to overcome a hurdle and also find the time in my life. I had had children to raise, um, still raising them, of course. You never stop raising children. And um, I I did a lot of uh, extra side work. I I primarily uh, served as an architect and uh, enjoyed designing homes. Uh, It was a very demanding career. And I reached a point where I was able to focus on a better uh, work and home life balance and realized that I now have some time to to sit down and start writing. One of the hurdles I had to overcome was the fact that I love storytelling and I just think I, I was terrible at writing. I didn't even know where to begin. Um, my grammar was terrible. My uh, ability to um, understand English language sometimes seemed challenged. So I decided uh, to take advice from uh, one of the writing groups I went to, where, uh, which is a, a common bit of advice from writers, is to just write it, just keep writing it, no matter how sloppy and how uneven and how um, uh, uh, un- un- incomplete it might seem. Um, just get that story out, and that's what I did. And uh, and I learned uh, once I, I did that, I was able to realize that I could find someone to help me edit it, and I was able to find that proper um, or that um, uh, niche and procedure and how I'm going to tackle books in the future, which is get it all out, get someone to edit it who knows better than I do on how to edit, and uh, end up with a, an amazing finished product. And, um, and the one thing you can't pay for is a great idea and an amazing story. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the talent that I have, and I'm really looking forward to writing many more, many more books. Oh, I love that. Did any of your incomplete stories, chapter books, and novels that you had from the past, did any of those sneak into what you are currently writing? Um, I actually started creating this thing called my book bucket. And um, it's basically a file folder in my computer with all my ideas. And when I got to the point where I started uh, to write the first book, The Captain Stein Kids in the Eye of Horus, I did have a bunch of ideas that were um, built up in my head over the years that I, I kept kind of throwing in that particular book bucket. And I started weaving those together. Uh, it was always part of the over, overwhelming story or, or the overarching um, story that I was going to build. Um, but to answer your question as well, I do have a lot of other uh, ideas that I haven't actually pursued yet, and um, some of them seem to rise to my um, the attention of my mind, and, and, and I continue to kind of um, 
uh, flush them out, and some of them I realize probably won't ever become anything. Um, and I continue to just keep adding to that book bucket, and I kind of run with the one that brings me the most passion at the, at the time. Oh, I love that idea of a book bucket. Um, I'm starting a new podcast uh, called Boom Bang, Oh My Gosh, Wow Podcast, where we share short author tips. Maybe you'll have to, uh, if you would like to, um, share that book bucket idea on that little podcast. It's just a couple minute ideas. So maybe we'll have to talk about that later. That'd be great. I, I, I definitely learned, um, on my own how to do this mm-hmm. and, uh, came up with all sorts of tips and learning curves. And I, I try to, um, provide that with anybody who shows any interest in writing. Um, you know, you, you meet people and talk about the fact that you actually, uh, accomplished such a thing and people ask, Oh, I have a book idea too. And I just mm-hmm. always tell them my, um, number one, Lesson I learned was just start writing and get it down and don't worry about how, um, how sloppy it might seem at the beginning because, um, getting it out was the, was the uh, key for me to actually make that, um, first step and, um, led me to the final product. Yep. Good for you. I'm, I'm liking this advice. Thank you for sharing that. And I forgot to mention, congratulations on the book wins for both of those titles. That was exciting. Oh, I was very excited. I, I think they're fantastic books. Uh, of course, because I wrote them, <laughs> but I also, um, it's really nice to be recognized. And, and you, and I really appreciate the fact that you offer a charity based service like this for authors. It, it, it was amazing. I, I, I found you. I, I felt good about it. And, um, it turned out to be a wonderful experience. And I'm very thankful to, to have an, a couple of awards under my belt. Oh, my. Thank you for saying that. I, I appreciate that. I just, I'd been doing this pillowcase project for 12 years, and when I put together these Firebird Book Awards, I thought, huh, maybe I can combine these two together as a way to even donate more to the shelters while at the same time giving authors a tax deduction, a tax donation, that they're doing something. Even if they don't win, they still win because you know, their, their submission fee goes toward this whole project. So it's just been a beautiful thing. I've been, I've enjoyed working on it. We've gotten a lot of really good feedback. So thank you. Thank you for finding us. You're welcome. Now you've written a children's book titled A Cat's Tale, a young adult novel that Cats and Stein Kids and the Eye of Horus and your adult novel, Trypophobia. Why did you decide to write for three distinct age groups? So that was, uh, that's an interesting question. So the Cat's Tale was kind of like my original idea of writing children's books because my children were of that age. And um, I toyed with some art associated with that book, and I created a couple copies on a, a you know, web service that allowed you to kind of like create your own books, um, uploading your own images and text. And I kind of kept that as an internal project that I gave to my kids and some family members. And it, it gave me a chance to accomplish a small goal. Um, and uh, but one of the things I realized about that is, is even though I had a lot of picture book ideas and young and, and children book ideas, um, the the cost and the uh, energy in putting together the art associated with the words that you create and the story you create, I felt was going to um, uh, cost me financially. I wasn't going to able to to write enough of these because I'd be paying for this, um, the services of, of artwork and other things associated with picture books. And I did have these greater stories in mind, these, these novels. And I knew the novel was, was, I want to say inexpensive, but it was all, it was all, all it was was words. Um, so I decided after I did the Cat's Tale kind of as an internal project that, um, the, the next book I thought that was the right choice, 
being at the time I wrote it, my kids being um, teenagers uh, in the in the 13 age age group range, which was about the age of the characters, was um, the Katzenstein kids. And um, there was nothing stopping me from just putting down all those words and um, not having to invest any any um, resources to our, you know art and other other parts of the book that have to be put together until I got to the end, and then I was able to um, work on um, cover, cover designs with with a, a cover designer and things like that. Um, and then um, and then the funny story is after I finished the Captain Stein Kids, I quickly realized that this is a trilogy. There's more to say. Um, however, my brain kept telling me to go to this next idea, which was trypophobia. And I thought it'd be fun to write um, in different genres to allow me to experience the different um, points of view. Um, the uh, trypophobia, clearly, as an adult, was a little easier to write because I was writing as an adult um, with no real limitations on the way the book flowed and the, the content. Um, writing in the, in the, the Captain Stein Kids, I was kind of required to put on the hat of being a young adult and reliving some of my own adventures as a, as a teenager. Um, so um, it gave me a chance to try both genres, um, but I am definitely going back to Cats and Stein Kids. There's so much more story to tell, and um, my kids loved it, and they want me to. Um, they want to know what happens next. <laughs> I love that you felt free enough to and wise enough to experiment in different genres and different age groups, and I think that's how you learn. That's how you become a better writer, just to stretch yourself, because each one does require a whole different set of knowledge or thought processes and research. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right, well, let's talk about the Katzenstein kids. Give us a peek into that book so our listeners have an idea of what we're talking about. Well, I like to sum it up um, by saying it's kind of a combination of Indiana Jones meets the Goonies, um, if you want to put it in one sentence. Um, Basically, it's a, it's a story of a journey through time and history that begins with a, an unusual discovery in the vast desert of Egypt during the midst of World War II, which history always fascinated me. Um, Will, um, the characters Will, Des, Isaac, and Amy, uh, they, they end up finding out uh, that their summer doesn't go the way they expect. Um, instead of it being an ordinary summer on Cape Cod, uh, Massachusetts, where I grew up in the 1970s, it becomes um, a bit of a, a different summer for them. The adventure starts unfolding uh, with the discovery of a vintage comic book um, and um, the innocence of their small town and their, and their innocent summer uh, starts to unravel with this mystery that they didn't expect it was contained within this comic book. And um, ultimately what they start to find out is they're being pursued by somebody else who has an interest in this particular mystery. And they have to start to, um, the unbreakable friendship is shared by these four kids. And it's kind of a coming of age mystery adventure. And it starts to deliver the bravery that is um, sometimes found in all of us when needed. And uh, the um, fortune, the destiny only reserves for the few. And even though the danger um, lurks within the shadows, the help of a powerful gift for those who are willing to um, find it, um, help bring out the hero in each of them. I feel like this book, when I was done with it, felt more like an origin story, and uh, I have so many places I can go with it and um, and continue to weave the um, innocence of like the 19, late 1970s Cape Cod, where kids still rode their bikes <laughs> and didn't have the internet, with um, some of the, um, the the history of World War II and some of the history 
of, of um, that um, ties this story together. And it's it's a mystery. It's kind of a treasure hunt concept. Um, and um, I, I just loved it. I knew there was so much more to say. <laughs> well, good. That gives us something to look forward to. All righty. Well, let's move on then to the book Trypophobia. So why don't, if you would, explain, first of all, what that is, and then we can talk about how that fits in with your uh, the storyline. Sure. Um, so this is an interesting story. As I was writing uh, The Castle Plan Kids, my son came to me and he said, um, Dad, have you ever heard of trypophobia? Um, I was impressed that he actually could say the word. Uh-huh. Um, uh, he, uh, he showed me these pictures of tiny holes in skin and other things that were basically um, photoshopped images on Google. And he, um, I said, no, I've never heard of that. I found out that it was essentially it's a phobia. Um, it's a, it's one of many phobias, you know, the fear of uh, flying, the public speaking, the fear of drowning, um, the fear of bugs, um, spiders, uh, arachnophobia is well known. Um, it's a fear of clusters of tiny holes and um, things you would see in like a sponge or a strainer. Um, and um, there's some, I don't know if I should mention names, but there, there's a famous um person that, that openly admitted to having trypophobia and um, it became a little bit well known at, at that point when she came public and um, when he came to me about it I said um, you know that that's all uh, urban legend and photoshop that's not real it's actually just a phobia um, nothing happens to your skin nothing happens to you it's not a virus um, and then as I um, had that seed planted in my head I started developing this crazy story that that I started thinking how wonderful it would be to take and, and creepy to, to, I, I thought, I thought about writing a, a scary story or at least a suspenseful thriller type story for a while. Um, and, um, I was in the middle of this first book and I, uh, Tavistine Kids and I, I started filling that bucket, like I said, filling that bucket, uh, this particular book bucket with, uh, these ideas. And, uh, it, it was, it, they were coming to me so quickly and, and, um, the story was unraveling so quickly that I just felt that I had to jump on that book next. Um, what essentially is, is going on is, is that um, the fear of being a, say, a single father, which is a character, Brian, in the book, and his children and his son, Ben, um, who's 11, um, the fear of things happening to your children is one of a parent's um, biggest horrors. Um, and then to have no control over that. And, and, and the story unfolds with his Brian's son starts showing signs of trypophobia, and he has no way to control it, and it becomes frightening for them and the family, and this, the dysfunctionality going on in his home life, his work, and trying to address his son's problem. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but ultimately, he does have to seek the help of a clinical psychologist, and she starts to help him understand that this is not um, some some supernatural event. It's just possibly a mental illness or some type of phobia. Um, however, that starts to lead to greater questions and mysteries, and uh, he discovers an unforgivable sin that is that from his past that starts to hold clues to what's happening to his family, and ultimately this becomes less uh, reality and more supernatural and very frightening by the time he gets to the end of it. And to think this all stemmed from your son asking you a very random question. Yes, I, I thought it was great. I, I gave him all the credit in the world. <laughs> I said, um, 
you planted a seed and it, for weeks I kind of ignored it. And then all of a sudden it just started um, uh, growing in my mind. This whole story started unraveling and it came very quickly for me. Um, right around the time I, I, I actually started um, writing this, this particular story and, and getting ready to write it, um, I lost my father. And, um, and uh, it was interesting because Brian's a character, uh, the single father in the story, uh, also loses his father in the story. And, um, and I was able to really start to use some of my real life events to, to, um, write really deep, passionate portions of this book and what it felt like to be in those places in your life. And it, it just seemed to flow really well for me. And, um, I thought, I thought it, it added to the, to the realism of the story and also the fear and psychological aspects of the story. Oh, sure. To pull from your own grief that was very real time as you were writing. That's, that's very interesting. You know, it's one thing to write about how you grieved a year ago or six years ago, but to be in the throes of grief when your dad passed away while you were writing, that's pretty raw. Yeah, it, it definitely added to um, my ability to be creative and, and, and dig deep into the, into the passion and finding the right words mm -hmm. to, to let the story unfold. So what has been the feedback from this book? So it's interesting. Um, a lot of my circle of influence um, have um, loved uh, the Kassenstein kids, felt that it was a great feel-good kind of mystery adventure. And um, they all looked at me with a little bit of a, a <laughs> twist in their head saying, why what? are you delivering this seems very dark story all of a sudden? We really like the first one. Um, and I said, well, it's just it's what, it's what comes to you, you know. Um, and uh, after they read it, they thought it was fantastic. They, they really did. I, I, I've been getting a lot of good feedback on it. Um, not only did I win um, the Firebird Awards, but also um, I've been getting a lot of five-star reviews and on uh, in, uh, different um, reviewers and other, other web influencers. The circle of influence I have here um, in my hometown, um, the few people that I've handed copies to and read it have enjoyed it. And, and my mother, who, who's the, my biggest critic, who, who told me to, to go back to college to learn how to write before I try writing a book, um, and told me her honest-to-God truth about everything I wrote, um, thought it was fantastic as well. So I feel like uh, if I won her over, I'm doing pretty well. You know what? You need to make a sticker that says Mom Approved and put that on every book because that's the highest compliment, I think. It is. And, and she's, a, she's a feisty, uh, short Italian woman who's willing to say whatever <laughs> comes to mind and not shy. And, and she would be the first to say you wrote a terrible book, but she did not. She, she enjoyed both of them and, um, and encouraged me to keep going. That does encourage you to keep going for sure, especially then also that your children are pushing for Katzenstein to continue. So you've got a little cheerleader group going on. I do. I really enjoy it. Um, one of the, my uh, dedications in the book is the, is uh, in, in, in honor of my parents who have always uh, fostered creativity uh, in my life um, was um, when I was trying to find a pen name, I decided to take my mother's first initial, Angela, and my father's first initial Gerald and uh, made it my pen name A.G. Sullivan um, because um, it wasn't it hadn't been used before and I, I wanted something original. Oh that is a beautiful tribute nobody else needs to know that but you do and that's really quite nice thank you for sharing that. You're welcome thank you. Yeah so what about your writing process I know you're still working full-time right? I do I do work full-time yeah. and um, 
And uh, I, I feel like um, um, I have a little groove going where it takes me approximately two years to write a book. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm already started outlining the sequel to the Captain Stein Kids. Um, I will continue to uh, fill in all those um, uh, plot holes and storytelling uh, over the next 12 months, and then I'll start the refinery of the of the project um, where I start refining all the all of the story, making sure that I've plugged all my holes and added depth to all my characters and storytelling. Um, and it usually takes me approximately two years. The last six months tends to be the editing process, the cover design process, the formatting process. Um, and then getting it out on um, self-publishing the book, um, which I prefer is my method of, of getting it um, into the public domain. Um, I, I do also have uh, an event coming up uh, here in Tucson, the Tucson Festival of Books at the University of Arizona. Um, on March 13th, uh, I'll be at the uh, Indie uh, Office Pavilion as well. Um, and that gives me a chance to um, promote the book locally. And that's that's really the process I take, I enjoy it. I don't want to rush it. Um, mm -hmm. I'm trying. I, I I have so many ideas. I wish I could <laughs> knock out one book a, a year or even shorter. But I, I do work full time and I enjoy my time with my family. Um, so I feel like this two year uh, process is is works best for me. Sure. No, that makes sense. Especially it, you have all these other things going on. Do you find yourself though at work or? hanging out with the family, that these ideas come to you and you think, oh my gosh, I have to write that down, or gee, I wish I could write right now because I've got to get this out of me? Yes, absolutely. I, I find that happens all the time. And that's kind of caters and, and is a positive part of the two-year period or the one-and-a-half-year writing period because as I off and on process the story that's unfolding uh, at home on my computer and, and, and putting things down, um, I'll, I'll start coming up with all these clever pieces that goes in it. And I tend to reach for my cell phone and record it right away. Um, which is great because I'll go back at the end of a, a week and, 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 and write in all my, all my recordings and start finding ways to weave all those little pieces into the story. And it's kind of like a layering process, which I think is really great because you don't feel rushed in like your first version. You tend to just keep processing the story and letting it unfold and it goes in different directions kind of on its own. It becomes its own, um, you know, um, entity. And uh, by adding these layers along the way, I think it just creates a deeper story, a better story. And it doesn't feel like it's all full of, you know, fluff and, and nonsense. It has a lot of um, quality elements to it that enriches the overall book. Oh, I agree with that. These, they're almost like flashes of brilliance when you're not thinking about it. Then all of a sudden you get a great line or a great story twist or something. You've got to write that down right away because it never sticks with you. So good idea just to store that all on your cell phone and then grab it later. So it's all, well, it's just more book bucket tips, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that happens as well with the new ideas. You know, I, I, I went to visit somebody in the hospital one day and, um, on my way out, um, you know, the process of going in, um, wearing a mask and, and signing in and um, visiting them and the nurse coming in and checking on their vitals and then leaving. And it was so interesting. Walking out, I instantly came up with the beginning of the story. It's just one little piece, but it was a, a really great beginning. And I went right home and I, I wrote it. I recorded it on the phone and then I went home and added it. And I gave the book a temporary title 
because I felt like that is going to be the one little piece that grows into an amazing novel someday. And um, that's in my bucket as well, <laughs> the future. I almost have a mental picture of you carrying a bucket. Yes. Well, let's see. Oh, your covers. Tell us about the cover art. How do your covers come about? Yeah, when it comes to covers, I have a bit of artistic ability, which is helpful. Um, so I come up with a con- concept on what I kind of want it to look like. And I um, do have somebody, a go-to um, person who, who um, I pay a fee to for a, a final cover design, and they understand the, the proper formatting and the binder width and things like that. And I also provide them with the text for the, uh, for the back of the cover as well. And, um, and I, I do that. And, and, um, in the, in the case of the Katzenstein kids, I try to come up with a cover that I thought would apply to the, the concept of the trilogy and, um, the overall color of the, of, you know, the, the, the overwhelming color of the book cover and how it can have uh, different shades for each book so that it could be a collection at, at some point and, um, what it, what, what, what the, um, fundamentals of that cover should be to allow me the room to to uh, add two additional covers that honor the first cover. Mm-hmm. So um, that's how uh, Captain Sankins came about. And um, I reached out to the same person again, and I found um, Entrepophobia. And I found a, um, a photograph that was um, done by a, a photographer, and I purchased the digital um, rights to it. And then I used that as my background for the cover. And I wanted the cover to have mystery in it. Um, I wanted to feel creepy when you see it, mm-hmm. and I, and and it, but it does have clues within the cover too to the story. So, um, and I thought it was a, a perfect combination of imagery and um, and theme that I wanted to go with for a book of its of its nature. Yeah, absolutely. I just had a conversation with another author, and we talked about cover art. How when you have not read the book and you look at the cover you you get one feeling or you get one idea about it but after you read the book it's really important to go back i think and study the cover because often there are lots of little clues within the cover art that you wouldn't have noticed prior to reading the book exactly definitely and i think that's um something i I wanted to do in the cover It, it leaves that little bit of mystery when you see the cover and um and I'm, I tend to have, um, I, I do have um, some skill in the in the um, in artistic ability with Photoshop and things. So I was able to come up with these really uh, close to the original, the final cover designs in, in a mock-up. Mm-hmm. It really gave the um, cover designer a, a, a good opportunity to to develop it from there, which I think really helped because I my very first idea for a cover, I reached out to a company who does cover designs, and I sent them my concept, and they said, um, yeah, we don't do that. Um, we'll show you what we do do. And it was a, the cover design was um, almost like a standard image mm-hmm. with text on it, and it just felt unoriginal to me. Right. So um, I'm happy with, with um, my arrangement and uh, being able to provide them with um, a uh, concept art. Oh, that's so wonderful that you have that artistic ability. Uh, so many people don't, and then you've got to, share your thought or your goal for the cover with somebody else and hope that they pick up on that. So it's nice that you were able to or had the talent to and the ability to get most of the way there with it, for sure. Yeah, it was very helpful. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, as we begin to wrap up, I want to be sure that we're not missing anything, that 
you would like to talk about today? I'd like to just um, let people listening know that I have um, established an author presence um, for, for my projects. Uh, I have a website, uh, www.agsullivan.info, and um, each each book is available on Amazon in uh, paperback, Kindle version, and um, Audible, an audio version. Um, Tripophobia's audio version will be released in May, so it's a little behind right now. It should be out then. Each book is also, um, you could find under uh, thecastensteinkids.com or tripophobiabook.com. And um, I'm also going to be, like I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be attending the Tucson Festival of Books here on March 13th, if anyone's in my area. And uh, it's a wonderful book event, and they have an indie author pavilion for local authors. It's a lot of fun to be able to meet and greet and do book signings and sell copies uh, on site as well. That sounds lovely. I wish I could be in Arizona right now. Tucson's a beautiful, beautiful place. So that's coming up, and we are speaking with A.G. Sullivan. The website is agsullivan.info, and the two books we spoke about today are The Katzenstein Kids and the Eye of Horus and Trypophobia. Thank you so much for sharing with us today, and I hope that you will um, continue to share your books with us through the awards and maybe leave us a tip about your book bucket. Thank you, Pat. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today.